I'm Julia Wicklander, and I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome you back to another episode of the Hey Changemaker podcast. Today, we have a remarkable guest whose mission is nothing short of extraordinary. Joining us today is Japnit Ahuja, the driving force behind Go Girl, a dynamic nonprofit that's been making waves for the past five years. Japnit's mission? To empower underprivileged students, equipping them with the technical skills they need to thrive in the 21st century. Go Girls Impact is nothing short of inspiring. They've introduced over 2,000 girls to programming through workshops held in India, Singapore, and the US. What makes Go Girl truly unique is their tailored approach. Their workshops are designed to meet the specific needs of their students, whether they're teaching in the Hindi regional language or providing Telugu tutors for girls. Go Girl is reaching out to various strata of society, keeping cultural references in mind. But here's what sets Go Girl apart even further. They have a mobile-friendly curriculum, ensuring that students with no computer access can still benefit from their programs. Their beginner-friendly workshops incorporate pop culture references and games, making learning not only accessible, but also engaging. With over 250 free workshops hosted and the incredible support of 80 dedicated volunteers, Go Girls Reach continues to grow. Their network of 20,000 followers has allowed them to impact an astounding 500,000 people through their social media campaigns. Yet for Go Girl, these numbers are just stepping stones on their journey to becoming a nonprofit that holistically supports girls in marginalized communities using technology in India. And now let me introduce our guest, Japnit Ahuja. She's not just the machine learning enthusiast that's behind Go Girl um, and an educator, she is a change maker with an ambitious vision. At 16, Japnit was awarded a fully funded scholarship by the Singapore government to complete high school in Singapore, where she navigated new cultures and honed her resourcefulness and independence. Her passion for machine learning led her to publish a research paper and receive national-level academic honors. Afterwards, she earned the Global Leadership Award, allowing her to pursue an undergraduate degree in computer science at Ontario Tech University, Canada. Japnit's advocacy for girls and women's empowerment through education led her to start Go Girl at the young age of 16. Her nonprofit aims to provide free coding workshops for underprivileged kids in India with a, spe- with a special focus on girls, closing the gender gap in the tech community. So if you're ready to be inspired by Jepnit's incredible journey and the transformative work of Go Girl, stay tuned. This episode is a celebration of empowerment, ambition, and the boundless possibilities that technology offers. Let's dive into this amazing conversation with Jepnit Ahucha and explore how she's changing lives through education and technology. Hi, Jepnit. It's such a pleasure having you on the Hey Changemaker podcast today. Hi, Julia. So excited to be here. Can you start off uh, by sharing a story from your life um, of when you knew that you wanted to be a part of creating positive change for others? 
Yeah, for sure. So actually, the story dates back to when I was just 11. And I think uh, there's a very distinct moment that I remember that changed the whole trajectory of my life. Um, it see might seem very trivial, but uh, my dad basically just called me and opened his laptop and he was on Facebook. And at that time, Facebook was the thing like that was the way you connect with anybody and like, um, so my dad was like, do you know how Facebook is made? And I was like, no. And he just opened the source code of Facebook. So that revealed like some red blue lines of gibberish, according to me then. And he said, well, these words have made up Facebook. And I think that blew my mind. I was like, how is this even possible? And that's how I started falling in love with technology. But something very interesting, which I didn't realize until much later had happened that day, is that not only my dad opened a whole new world for me, the fact that he chose me is so significant because I come from an Indian family. Uh, we're talking about like a country where women are not seen as equal to men in any way. My brother was right next to me. He could have chosen my brother to like show this to him, uh, show this quote to him, and uh, but he chose me. So I think in that one instance, he introduced me to technology. He gave me the empowerment that I could do it, and also he shattered so many gender stereotypes um, in that one moment. So I think that's the most significant moment. Uh, of my life, which started everything. And soon I got enthralled in coding. Um, I ended up joining the coding club in my school. And um, even after giving all like the tests and the interviews, I got to know that I was a diversity hire. And uh, I was the only girl in the my like, in eighth grade who had some programming experience, thanks to my dad. And that just sort of, um, really the imposter syndrome peaked. I didn't have any confidence at all. I used to just be that shy little girl in the background who never said anything. Uh, all the guys were like discussing all these cool ideas and every day I wanted to drop out. Uh, I think my one of my guy friends there just made me stay. He's like, no, you can do it. He was so supportive. But literally every day my message to him was like, oh, I'm going to tell the vice president of the club that I'm dropping out. I cannot do it anymore. So that was my whole experience in the club. So while everybody else got to like, if you ask, I think a male member there, they would talk about the competitions. They would talk about all the opportunities they had. They would talk about the brainstorming sessions. For me, I just remember being in the shadows and not liking technology. So mm -hmm. while in that, like in those years, because I didn't think I could do anything. Um, and I then like started trying to recruit more girls for my club. So that's when things started to shift to like a more positive change. And uh, I soon got like a scholarship to go study in Singapore. And I did not want to leave my club with no girls at all. So that's when the big shift happened, where I actually started a workshop and initiative for women to teach women how to code in my school. And I think that's how this whole organization, me as a change maker, was born. So, yeah, like. That was a bit long, but <laughs> yeah, that's my story in terms of how I became who I am today. Amazing. I mean, it's amazing to, to hear just how big an importance your father had and how sort of um, adults in, 
you know, children's lives really have such a huge influence. And it's, it's beautiful to, to see that he really took that opportunity um, to connect you with something that you're now so passionate about. Um, and you've started at 16, an organization called Go Girl Code. Um, tell us, tell me about the mission of that organization. Right. So, like I said, I got a scholarship to like uh, go to Singapore and I didn't want to leave my coding club without any girls. So at that time, the mission was just to like get that one or two girls into my club. And uh, it soon expanded to realizing that uh, this problem is widespread in my city and then my country and then Singapore, too. So the organizations sort of start with that one workshop and it grew into basically a mission to share my love of coding with other girls. But I have to mention that it has evolved so much more now. Um, it's now called Go Girl Organization. We didn't want to really just focus on tech and we're like trying to be a women empowerment organization for empowering underserved communities in India. So we're trying to divert our efforts into education in general, teaching kids in native languages, uh, and also other issues that uh, women face. And I think as I grew, the organization grew. So when I was a kid, tech was everything. So that's where the organization was focused at. When I started growing up, I realized there's so many other issues and challenges that I had to face being a woman uh, in a third world country. When I went to Singapore, there was a different set of challenges I used to face. So like, I just realized that with my gender came a lot of unique experiences, which, um, other maybe uh, people don't really face and like there could be some help uh, given. So that's how like I feel as I started growing up from like 16 to now 23, I feel like the organization has grown with me and like the mission has just kept widening and becoming broader and basically to empower every woman in India through technology. Mm, that's amazing. And so you've had an organization that has grown with you for the past five years. Um, what would you say is the impact that you've seen so far that inspires you? Uh, it's just, I think uh, the impact that truly started making me super passionate is when we, when during COVID, we realized that uh, government school children in India are not receiving education at par with private school children. Uh, first of all, government school education or public school education in India is really bad as it is. But with COVID, because the schools were closed down and because everything was online, now these kids weren't learning anything because they didn't have access to laptops at home. They were barely joining classes through their phones. So I think that's when the organization started focusing on where we were needed the most, not just girls from any school in Delhi to learn how to code, but like these kids who really, really needed us. And we started developing a mobile friendly curriculum to be taught in native languages. And I think the first few workshops when we started teaching these kids and making the alien idea of like technology accessible to them. And like just those ooh and ah moments uh, is what started inspiring me. Then I think the next phase was when uh, we had this workshop with Tara community in India, where we taught some girls who had been victims of sexual assault. And just the fact that at the start they were they didn't even know how to use computers and then they were like oh I want to be a coder too and like they could see a whole future for them 
is what has inspired us. We then started doing longer programs. So that's what we're focusing on now. So not just like a few days boot camps. We have been collaborating with the organizations for like full years now. Our kids are uh, undergoing technical training and we're actually in the midst of getting them opportunities after our program. So I just talked to this girl in the morning. Uh, she is from uh, a very rural remote area in Delhi. And I was just talking about her aspirations, what she wants to become and she's like even though we teach her coding she was like I, I want I always wanted to become a teacher and I'm like that's amazing and then she was like but now after you guys saw me coding I love coding so much I'm wondering how to like get these passions together and I'm like you can definitely become a computer teacher and I was just telling her how she could actually start teaching within our organization itself and these kids come from very low-income families so finding them any like I'm talking like 100 USD per month sort of low income and if I, if we can find them internships or jobs, if like matching that income or even more, we're increasing their family income by 100 to 100%. So I think that's what is like really motivated me uh, in the past months because we're trying to find them these opportunities. And like for this girl, the opportunity is right here. We already pay our tutors to go teach. So with some training, she can start teaching here. So like, it's just amazing how long, how much of like a long lasting impact you can have um, on these kids. And let me tell you, the amount of enthusiasm these kids have it's crazy i feel i take my university courses like uh for granted and i have so much privilege when i miss classes and i'm like just lazy to go to classes and these kids are like coming at 10 a.m 2 p.m like anytime you tell them they're mm -hmm. always so excited to learn like i think their sort of energy comes to you when you see them so excited to learn Mm, absolutely and just like your energy is now <laughs> giving me yeah. lots of energy as well it's amazing to see your passion and and just to hear you talk about what you've accomplished in the past five years it's it's really remarkable and when you speak about your organization you say you say we um what has that looked like for you who is a part of the organization who supports you and and how has that changed these past five years I think it started as like only like a group of five people from my own school. And when I changed countries and went to Singapore, it was um, very hard because I had to work in like Indian Standard Time. And I was also in a new country trying to like get my own career in place and everything. So growing from like five people to I think now 80 volunteers has just been crazy because honestly, nobody gave me a crash course on how to manage these people, how to manage my own time, how to create like we went from everybody does everything to now department structure like I'm so amazed sometimes that we have like a whole HR routine like we do interviews and like we have contracts and all that legal stuff like it's just amazing to see how much uh, we have grown and uh, other than that what has been amazing is to find people who are as passionate as me so it used to be just me do, trying to do everything which sort of was very overwhelming but even now it's like this problem that we're trying to solve getting these kids opportunities is breaking inter is going to break intergenerational poverty mm. it is such an overwhelming problem like sometimes like at night i'm just awake thinking how am i going to solve it if nobody before me has been able to or like they're, like it's such a big problem in India like so many people are below the poverty line mm -hmm. and then I literally text my CEOs be like hey I'm thinking about this and they're like oh my god we also cannot sleep like should we do this and then we're still we start ideating on whatsapp like at 3 a.m or something that's why like 
that's where we are. Like, it's just amazing to work with the women I do. And uh, some of them have been with have been with me for like a few years now. So they have sort of grown with me and the organization. So yeah, it's just, and all of them are volunteers. So it all comes out of their passion and motivation. And I think that's what, you know, keeps us going. That's, that's brilliant. It's amazing. So today, when you look back, I mean, you said in the beginning, it was all tech. What does tech mean to you today? Wow. <laughs> So tech to me, honestly, is my entire life. It's sort of like a superpower where you can make anything that comes to your mind. It's almost like magic uh, because I feel in like other fields, you there's like some barrier, like you need a lab, you need certain knowledge to like maybe go make, I don't know, like do advances in medical or something like that. You need like those set years of experience and everything in tech. You can literally join like from day one and start making an impact from like day one. It's all about self-learning. Literally everything is available online and just the uh, impact it can have on people. And it just amazes me, honest, honestly, because my parents tell me about their era when they didn't even have like, like they saw iPhones coming in and they had those box kind of phones and everything. And I'm like, I do not understand how you guys lived in that era. But like, uh, yeah, it's just that to me as like literally a superpower. And I'm so excited to share it with all the people we share it with. Hey there, it's Julia, and I just wanted to pop in for a minute and talk about something truly essential, hope. It is the driving force behind inspiring positive change in the world, both for others and for ourselves. And do you know what never fails to ignite hope? To build infectious movements of change? It's storytelling. Storytelling, my friend, is the heartbeat of hope. It's the spark that inspires action and the cornerstone of movements that drive change. So I'm taking a moment to share something that could make a world of difference for you. Digital Storytelling for Impact is a course I've poured my heart into. It's designed to empower activists, advocates, entrepreneurs, and change makers to create a lasting impact by boosting your confidence, giving you clarity and purpose, and helping you build a vibrant community to support your mission for change. Your voice is a force, a powerful tool, and it's high time you wield it effectively in our digital world. I invite you to enroll in this online course today at learn.girlsglobe.org. Over the past two years, nearly 200 participants have embarked on this journey with us, and I've seen them build confidence as digital storytellers. Digital Storytelling for Impact is not just a course, it's a catalyst for change. It's a one-week online journey filled with bonuses and resources to support you to make a lasting difference. So head over to learn.girlsglobe.org to discover more and enroll today. Yeah, can you can you share? I mean, you shared one story of this this girl who now feels like she wants to combine her passion between tech and and education. Um, can you share a story of the impact that this superpower of tech has had on the girls that have been a part of your programs? 
Yeah, for sure. And um, so when we started this program, like uh, we are, we are actually collaborating with one of the largest NGOs in India called Cry. So the person uh, before starting this, she was like, so these kids come from low income families. Their main focus is just getting through school. Technology is nowhere in their curriculum. She was trying to test me, you know, so she was like, why should we even allow you to teach our children? Like, what's the point of technology? They're not going to become a coder. They're not going to go join Google the next because honestly those are really big goals for these kids who come from very different backgrounds and I was like that is not my goal at all my goal here is to introduce them to the idea of technology to like just give them empowerment in terms of that technology is made for them and it's not something that's alien to them so even if one of the kid there starts editing a photo on canva and posts it on like instagram or something at least that kid is equivalent to let's say a kid who has had all privileges and is doing the same in terms of using technology because it's like leveling the playing field and she was like right that's amazing and that's how we started these programs and these kids uh were basically thinking of computers as little tvs they had never seen computers before so from even like letting the teaching them how to start a computer how to like go there how to use microsoft excel and then like on to coding and stuff it's just been amazing and um this other girl i was talking to she was like at first i was not so interested in coding because like nothing was making sense and then suddenly like a month later I, she just made like a website that looked like apples so we have we always focus on like projects so that they can keep applying the skills that they're learning so she was like I saw I, we made that Apple website and I was like, oh, my God, I can make something that exists like in real world. And I want to be a software engineer now and I want to make apps. And I was like, whoa, that's great. Like, I hopefully will get you there. But, you will, you know, you have to be determined and like it's going to take a few years. And these kids have been with us for like 1.5 years already and they've learned so much. So I think just the fact that they've started thinking of careers in technology is one step ahead. Like I know we talked to them before we started these classes and they had very different career paths. Um, some of them were gonna become laborers like their parents were. Some of them were hoping for like lower uh, skill jobs where they like use minimum uh, technology and minimum like their skills and learnings. And now they're aiming to be like into software engineers and going to school like further studies for coding. I think that's all I wanted to do. Like open their minds up hopefully we can do everything else and really like make a career out of this with them but like if you ask me what my aim was it was just to open their minds because these girls come to me like they're from families where they're being forced to like go into marriage and everything as as well as as soon as they're they're 20 and like while these ideas may seem like alien to us I think uh, it's just crazy because they have to deal with this family pressure of leaving their studies and everything so I just keep them, try to keep them motivated. And I keep telling them that it's something that they would have to fight for. Obviously we are gonna support them in any way possible. So just the fact that the two things they're battling with is marriage and being a software engineer, I think is an accomplishment on its own. At least their minds have been exposed enough to technology that they can think of a career in it. So I think that's been an amazing impact that we've seen in our children. Yeah, amazing. And there are conversations about sort of the digital, the digital gap that exists in the world. Um, and you're, of course, you know, working to decrease that gap really, you know, realistically <laughs> through your work. Um, when it comes to digital rights, um, what, 
what comes to mind for you when you think about sort of um, human rights in, in the digital space? Right, so I think that's a very big topic, but like um, only focusing on like the work that the organization is doing, what we hope to like achieve. Uh, I think everybody should have equal access to technology and internet because it's just bizarre to me that one world is like moving with chat GPT, like we're at this uh, brim of like AI happening, we're like doing all these cool things. And then there's another part of the world where they don't even know what internet is. They're thinking that computers are little TVs, like, and they're like so un uneducated and unexposed to the idea of technology. And I think the first and foremost thing in terms of the digital divide and digital rights is to get everybody to have that equal access. And uh, it doesn't mean that everybody needs to have a laptop at home because that might not be feasible, but at least like, let's say there's a computer center close to like every rural area so that the kids can go learn and they actually know what a computer is, what the internet is. Because there are kids here who are like, I don't know, innovating, learning so much on the internet by themselves. And then there are these kids who have never heard of the internet before or are basically still in the textbook method. They're living in a different reality altogether. And then if you put them together to like compete in the real world for jobs, because that's the only way to break intergenerational poverty is through education and getting a good job and everything. How will they fare? Like it's not a fair competition. And that is what we're struggling with as well. Most of our kids do not have access to uh, computers. They only have this computer center. And when stuff like the pandemic happens, even that is not accessible. So one thing that we did work on is mobile-friendly curriculums because I felt like technology could be taught in a mobile-friendly way. You don't need to be coding or you don't need to yeah. have uh, laptops. So we did like intro to technology sort of workshops where we just introduced them what could what could technology be and what could their careers in technology be. And um, yeah, so I think when you say digital rights, the only thing that comes to my mind right now is at least have internet access and access to a laptop and basic technologies in every rural community. And I think it's a necessity at this point. Otherwise, you're there. There's no equality and opportunities. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And you mentioned sort of this quick development that we're seeing now in in. Uh, you know, the part of the world that we have access to um, with sort of AI and, um, and of course it's, you know, it brings a lot of, of you know, creative opportunities and uh, technologies is moving really fast that can be very helpful. Um, but is there anything with the development with tech that, that worries you or that you feel a little bit, um, yeah, insecure about? I think everything to do with AI right now makes me feel really insecure. It's not because I'm insecure about like my job or anything. Actually, it's about the ethical implications of AI right now. While AI, like let's say chat GPT, for example, right? Uh, while it does come with warnings that it may be spreading misinformation and bias and whatnot, like not everybody is gonna take those warnings seriously. As someone who has done AI before and is in the field, I know the implications and the limitations of chat GPT. For someone else, it might be like the source of truth. So whatever chat GPT says, like, that's it. Also, like uh, with the advancing AI, there's a lot of risk on cybersecurity as well. Like there are just 
anybody can literally go and like hack websites or like there's just so many threats to security that we don't know yet because we don't even know the full potentials of AI. And I think what's concerning is that uh, whenever, you know, this sort of competition starts that nobody now cares about the ethics and everything and we're not moving at a slow calculated progress rate. We're just trying to see which company is going to come out with the next best thing because they want to capitalize the market and like sort of be the monopoly in AI, uh, especially after OpenAI and Google being like everything is AI and every other company just moving towards AI at this lightning speed is now all they care about is profits and money. Nobody is taking in the uh, taking into account the ethics behind it, the policies, the laws. Like we're not ready for AI. Honestly, I don't even feel we're ready for ChatGPT yet. Yeah. I mean, universities aren't ready. Like there was no sort of notice given to universities. There was no sort of notice given to education. There were no policies in place before. And everybody is cheating on assignments. <laughs> like it, I know it makes our lives easier, but like it's also degrading technology, like our education to a level. And um, we're just not ready. Like uh, everybody just needs to like pause and this needs to be taken at like a global scale before. Obviously AI would be great to solve humanity's biggest problems and everything, but we always need to be like cautious and take it with a grain of salt because uh, we ourselves don't know the full capabilities of AI right now and how it impacts and interacts with people. Mm. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that perspective. I think I share some of those, uh, although I feel <laughs> like I'm I'm a few years older than you, so I also grew up sort of in a world pre-social media. Um, so I've, of course, you know, uh, other types of worries can come, but I think uh, in terms of AI and in terms of sort of just um, the impact that it has on, on young people and on mm -hmm. sort of just human rights in general, um, I think yeah. that there is a lot of cautious, uh, yeah, we need to be cautious um, when using these tools. Um, so just also to move back to sort of your journey as an entrepreneur starting in your teens, um, what challenges have you faced in your journey as an entrepreneur and, and how have you managed to overcome them or survive them? I think like uh, everything was a challenge. When you're 16 uh, and trying to do something on your own, uh, everything is a challenge. And this happened, especially at the time when I moved to Singapore. So in India, at least I had my parents support, I had some sort of network and like months within starting this initiative, I moved to Singapore where I literally didn't know anyone. I was already like struggling with like keeping up with the studies and like establishing myself there. And I had no contacts whatsoever. And um, <clears throat> so literally like spreading it there was a challenge. Then managing it back home was a challenge. And nobody gave me, like I said, a crash course on how to manage my teams, how to be a good leader. There were times where I think I was very naive. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't know how to manage conflicts because everybody was as old as me. So like, how do I assert my authority as a boss? Or like, you know, like, how do I make them listen to me? Because after all, it's my initiative, uh, but sometimes everything was too casual. Like I said, we didn't even have any departments or forms, fancy forms to join. It was like, oh, you want to join? Come on in. Like, this is the yeah. group. This is where we're doing everything. So as the organization started scaling, it got 
very hard uh, to manage. And I was obviously in that phase then where I was looking at like university applications. I had a very busy schedule myself. So it was honestly uh, a very hard time for me. But the only thing that kept me going was my passion for what I was doing. So even when people ask me that, oh, we want to start this or we want to start that, uh, I always tell them that don't do it for the money. Don't do it for anything else except internal motivation, because when all those external factors will start weighing on you and when everything, nothing makes sense, then only your internal motivation is something that's going to keep you going. And I think one skill that I learned a lot in Singapore is resilience. Uh, and I think that's like my life motto now, like just handle everything and like everything is going to be fine just like power through storms because there's no way around it so in terms of the organization i used to do a lot of cold emails cold calls and sometimes they worked out sometimes they didn't uh and mostly they didn't <laughs> so like i didn't even know how to pitch myself because to make anybody else believe in my organization i had first believe it uh in myself and like believe in the organization in, in the organization myself so i think that was a journey that i just had to undertake and it wasn't easy and it took a lot of time uh that i am doing good work and what i'm doing makes sense and uh everybody else should support me because i was at that point where i was like why would anybody support me and that was just like stupid but that's how you, how a 16 year old used to think mm -hmm. and just like uh i kept trying trying to reach out always like self promotion and bringing it into all conversations and it finally opened doors for me so i got a message from a student uh, at national university of singapore and she was like do you want to like meet me for a coffee chat discuss how we can possibly like do a workshop at nus and that blew my mind i was like oh my god like if i have a workshop at a workshop at nus like that's it i have achieved everything in my life in terms of what i wanted to do in singapore right but the only time she was free was the next day and i had a class and i had like 30 minutes left in the middle to like go meet her and in my mind it was okay it was like the location was 10 minutes away so i was like i'll just quickly leave 10 minutes before go meet her and then run back and that is what i planned to do and everything was great except like the meeting uh was a bit long and at that exact day there was a fire drill in my uh uh, uh junior college so imagine me like a scholar who just came to singapore a few months ago and who thinks that if i do anything wrong they'll deport me and um i had to like run back from uh, the meeting and everybody was calling me because my whole class was left uh to sit down because i was missing and in a fire drill if you're missing even though it's practice it's almost like they take it as serious as like the actual situation so here's me running with my starbucks in my hand and i was like oh my god and anyways like i reached and like nobody scolded me or anything but it was very awkward but when she texted me the next day that the collaboration has started and it's done and like we're gonna have a workshop it's amazing like everything just started making sense so um I think everything was a challenge because I didn't know anybody and like had no network, but I built my own network by like reaching out consistently by not taking rejection too hard. Like after I think the first 50, I was like, whatever, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I, it took 30 seconds to send that email or send that message. There were times that you have full conversations with people and they ghost you at the last moment. 
it, it's sad, but like, it's just part of the game at this point. I think that really prepared me for my personal career as well, for university, for job applications. Because while my friends who were just applying for their first job last year were like so affected by rejections, it didn't matter to me at all. I was like, I've been rejected so many times that I do not really care. So I think the hard truth is that to not care about rejections, you need to go through enough rejections. So like <laughs> to not be faced by problems, you need to go through enough problems. So I think um, the quickly and like as early as you can go through all these problems, you'll do better like maybe at later stages in life because you would have already had that exposure and been through it. So. Yeah, I take it all in a good way now. I definitely didn't back then. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I love that. But I, I think that you have such great advice to others who want to start something. What you said about having that internal motivation and just that your own passion. And I think that that, is, that goes in line with the resilience, right? And it goes in line with not, uh, you know, putting all of your expectations on someone else and then being disappointed because you already have that, you know, inner motivation so that you can sort of, uh, you know, power through and, and con connect with new people and, and not have so many expectations and just, you know, um, let, let things be as they are and, and they will, you'll find the right path. Right. And you have, so that's, it's just, yeah. Right. I mean, uh, till date, like there are times that volunteers would drop out because of other reasons. They, they cannot come in time. And obviously it's a volunteer position. Till date, I sometimes have to go in and make social media posts, even though I have a team of 20 people who do it for me. Like till date, I have to do like every trivial task at times when I don't have enough volunteers or like a good manager for the department. So I think if you do not have internal motivation, it would be really hard to come up to this point where you're leading 80 uh, team members to now start doing those members uh, work. For me, it's not work. It's something that I love uh, and something that all like it's just something that literally drives me. So it doesn't feel like work. It, this is. Go Gorilla is actually all the fun work I could do in a day. So I usually like schedule it in between my day, like between all the stressful technology stuff. And then I'm like, yay, I'm going to do something for Go Girl. So if something like sparks that much excitement in you and you love it so much, then you're bound to succeed. Like that's what I feel. Mm. So can you share your vision that you have for Go Girl? So if you ask me like my vision, I'm currently in Canada and I always like, when people ask me this question, I only have one vision. I want to go back and I want to like do an inauguration ceremony for our own schools across India. So like that's like the big, big vision where we have our own training centers, where we teach these kids the skills they need for today's world, not the science and the biology and, uh, and like the maths that they're doing in school, which is great and you need that sort of thing. But the English, the tech skills, the entrepreneurship skills, like everything they need to succeed in today's world that they're lacking. So that's my like big, big vision. But to get there, I think uh, we have to continue these long-term training programs, try to secure placements for our students, and also this other groundwork that we're planning, like we're planning to do pad drives in India and like start sort of um, spreading awareness about menstrual hygiene and other topics like good touch, bad touch for like sexual harassment and assault, which is really high there. So like, 
I love that we're going to start cover uh, covering those topics as well. But I do feel that everything in the end comes back to education. And in our workshops, we're teaching uh, both girls and boys, right? So our workshops ensure that there's always a higher percentage of girls, like at least 50% of girls in the workshops. We're also teaching boys. And I also want to introduce topics like taboo topics to them. So like when we were taught, uh, we were taught about sex education and all that stuff in my school, uh, and about periods, the guys were given like a play period, like they were supposed to go and play and like only the girls were sat down and talked about with stuff. When we had like a drama about how like rape happens in India, like how to keep yourself safe and everything, again, guys were given a play period. And I distinctly remember this girl getting up once and asking, why are we here? We already know all of this thing. We already watch all the news. We have our mothers who are constantly worried about us and keep educating us on these things. Like, where are the people who are like, I'm not saying every man is causing it, like, but behind the entire thing, like they also need to be educated about this. And just the avoidance of like uh, teaching our boys stuff and like just putting everything in the girl's basket, like it's her responsibility to stay safe. No, it's his responsibility to do like to make sure I'm safe. So yeah, I when I envision my schools, that's what I want to teach them, like everything they need to know in today's world and also like how to be allies and feminists. <laughs> and support like the organization's uh, mission. So yeah, that's like my long-term vision. Amazing, Jeff. Thank you so much for sharing that vision. And thank you so much for sharing your story with, with me on the Hey Change Maker podcast. It's such a pleasure speaking to you. And I'm really excited to continue to follow your journey um, with GoGirl. That sounds amazing. Thank you so much for having me.